0: And they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. Past success doesn't predict future results. You can't expect people to hit the ground running unless you have your environment in order. It's not enough to have a plan. You have to have a plan that everyone is in alignment with. That's what Kenny Kenny Valespin, VP of HR at Texas Partners Bank, has to say. So let me give you a little bit of background on Kenny and his story. One of his core values is to act with integrity and be highly focused on serving people. And that service mentality started all the way back when he was in the Army Signal Corps and achieved the rank of sergeant. He spent another four years after serving in the Army with the active Texas National Guard, overseeing human resources in the uh, U.S. Army South. After his military time, he pursued higher education, received his associate's degree in business, then bachelor's degree in professional development from Southwestern Assemblies of God University. He, He later achieved his MBA, and throughout his career, he's had progressively increasing responsibility in the various roles that he's had. As an HR professional, he's currently the VP of HR at Texas Partners Bank. Kenny also serves on multiple nonprofit, education, and professional business boards around the city. Not to brag, but he considers himself <laughs> the voice of his generation when it comes to HR and HR leadership. So, Kenny Velasquez, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Dr. Jim. Appreciate you, and thank you for having me on the show.
0: I know that yeah. we covered a lot of ground in your bio. But I, I still think there's an opportunity for you to fill in some gaps. So what I'd like you to do is get the listeners up to speed on things that you feel is important about your background and experience that's going to help inform this
1: conversation. One of the cool things that's happened in my entire HR career is that I don't really know how I ended up in HR, to be honest with you. I was in the military and I was like getting out of active duty and I wanted to join this this group very bad in the Army National Guard. And they said, in order to do so, you have to reclass into what is called a 92 alpha. Really didn't know what that was. Come to find out, When I go to school, it's an HR specialist. And after that, I spent four years active duty there, going to the private sector and start to to begin my career. As I continued to grow, really got into different aspects of serving on different boards. And as I served on different boards, it really got me to, to thinking about my community a lot more. And so I became the president of one of the nonprofit organizations on the board. That is, and I served on a few other boards here in San Antonio, and that's really helped me out—not necessarily in my career, but also just in my philanthropic work. But also bringing what made me successful in my career out there into the real world, and able to be boots on the ground for a lot of things that are happening in San Antonio. You've
0: referenced it several times just in this little bit, and that's this this habit of service and giving back from your military experience, from the nonprofit boards that, that you're a part of. Where does that come from?
1: So what drives me actually is my faith. Growing up, I've been really rooted in church and in church, obviously we served a lot of the homeless people. We fed those in need. We provided for children during the Christmas season with gifts and just being raised in that kind of culture has really got me into to that heart of servant and also really helping me as a leader, being a servant leader. But going back to, to where did this come from? I was raised by a single mother and my mother, she kept bringing me to all these different things to serve and I didn't like it at that time. But what I didn't know was it was actually setting a foundation although I didn't like it at that time, it was setting a foundation of servanthood. And I might have ever really wanted to serve in some of the capacities that my mom drugged me along serving in the church, serving with the homeless people, serving at the food banks and everything like that. But when I got there, man, after serving and seeing that people's faces light up, it really did something for me. And that's the foundations of what drives me today to serve people. And that's actually where a lot of my, my, my heart to service come from and as well as my servant leadership.
0: That actually leads me to another question that I'm wondering about with such an emphasis in your upbringing and also what you do from a non-professional perspective with that service mindset. How does that show up in how you lead others in the world of work?
1: It's really interesting because in the military, being a sergeant, you have to be a little bit stringent, you know, get the job done. But what my faith really did for me is laid a foundation for me to really love people, treat people as they want to be treated, but also look at people as somebody with purpose. And that person that's filled with purpose, that has a purpose, is going to do something great. And if you can just pull that out of them, whether they can see it, in themselves or they can't see it in themselves. If you can pull that out of them or you can help them grow in their purpose or grow in their strengths, that's something that really drives me. But it all is rooted in my faith and has really helped me to blossom. My faith tells me to love people, so I love people. My faith tells me to serve people, so I serve people. My faith tells me to, to treat other people as I want to be treated. I want to be treated good. And make sure that it exudes in everything that I do. And especially as a leader, I've never asked anybody to do something that I'm not willing to do myself.
0: I really like that last bit that you mentioned where you've never asked anybody to do something that you're not willing to do. That's actually a foundational principle of how I've actually come up as a leader as well. I call myself a player coach where I'm going to lead from the front. I'm not going to just like armchair quarterback and tell you what to do. I'm going to actually probably tell you ask some questions and show you and work alongside with you. That's a really good philosophy that of not asking anybody to do something that you're not willing to do. You've been at Texas Partners Bank for almost 10 years. So I'm going to limit you in your answer to this question. When you think about the 10 years that you've spent in this role, what's the accomplishment that you're most proud of?
1: There, there's actually many because we were one of the youngest banks in San Antonio when uh, the Bank of San Antonio first started and and when we merged uh, man everything just lost but I think one of the cool things is to see a bank start off where, where I when I started was under half a billion dollars in assets grow to over half a billion dollars in assets then over one billion and then over two billion dollars in assets What that means from an HR standpoint is growth. So that means people growth. That means growth in training. That means growth in development. That means growth in leadership. And so I've been really proud to see or to be on this journey with the bank, starting from where they were, humble roots, very young bank, a de novo bank, that means a startup bank, and then growing to being over 2 billion. And it's been a really great ride. And I've been able to see so many people blaze their own trail when people first start at the bank, I tell them, treat your position as your own small business. Now grow your business.
0: That's a really interesting comment that you made, and especially in light of how the bank has evolved from being a startup to more of a stable entity at this point. And you just mentioned that one of the things that you've advised people to join the organization is this treat this as if it's your own small business and then grow your business. And in principle, I like that. Con- comment. And I like that advice. It's, it's something that I've often used when, when I've had people on my team, but there's a line for that. And I think one of the things that gets people into trouble, we're talking about ownership mentality. And in theory, that sounds great, but in practice, sometimes leaders can demand more than what's acceptable for that person on the team when it comes to that ownership mentality. So tell me a little bit about how you struck the right balance between what's reasonable and what's acceptable.
1: One of the the big things about creating this ownership mentality is really getting people to understand their own value, right? We talked about this prior to the show is, do you even know your own value? When knowing your value, that means knowing, Hey, am I paid fairly? Am I growing like I want to grow? And do I have the bandwidth to meet my own personal goals in this role? And as an organization, we strive to to provide this for people. Obviously, I'm excited when people find out this revelation for themselves and potentially find another job. But we want to be able to provide for people as they grow in our organization as well. We talk about being paid fairly. We talk about the ability to grow. And we talk about the ability to, hey, look, I want, I have goals and I have dreams and I have things that I want to accomplish in my career. Can I do it here? And so those are conversations that we continually have. We do, we have a a quarterly incentive. So we talk on a quarterly basis, but we try to make sure that we talk way more than a quarterly basis because... Me as your manager, not just manager, but your leader, I want to know that, hey, look, your family's taken care of. You feel like you're growing in your position. And this also is an organization where you feel you can, from a career standpoint, continue to advance and fulfill your goals and dreams uh, that you have set out for yourself as well.
0: The interesting aspect of what you described, if I'm putting that on a bumper sticker, it sounds like you've, from from an organizational culture perspective, put a strong emphasis in uh, development and retention. And you're talking about that from a growth perspective overall. So when you look at that from a theory perspective, how has that shown up in practical terms in your ability to retain people compared to other organizations that are in the same space as you?
1: Yeah, one of the interesting things about the the world in general is my answer probably would have been different if we would have talked pre-pandemic, but post-pandemic, one of the things that I really see uh, is that you really need to focus on the person more. Everybody says, hey, look, focus on the clients. And what I've really come to see from an HR perspective, at least, is if we continue to focus on the employee and make sure that they're having like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, getting their needs met, they're going to continue to do well. They're going to continue to thrive. And so one of the things that we uh, really do is we talk about DISC. And I'm not sure if a lot of the, the people out there do DISC, but it's like that personality thing, just to see how you're hardwired. Also, we also do EQ, emotional quotient. That's my bread and butter at the bank. I'm Mr. EQ. I teach that class, but that's really important to me because a lot of the studies they talk about it's not IQ or CQ or AQ that, that make you successful. It's really your EQ because that's the thing that your ability is that you have the ability to change and really manage. And so I really think those two things coupled with some of the classes that we talked about productive communication, it's actually called productive conflict, where we change the word conflict to communication, as well as situational awareness, leadership. Those things have really helped us to get the best out of And I think some of those classes, we have real conversations. We talk about being radically candid in those conversations and not shying away from, hey, let's be kind, but let's also make sure that other people know how we feel and we don't shy away from it. But the way that we tell each other that is through psychological safety. We're in a safe environment to have a really strong conversation if we need
0: I think that sets the stage really well for the main part of what we're going to talk about. And I opened the show by mentioning that past success doesn't predict future results. And you can't expect people to hit the ground running unless you have your environment in order. How is that relevant to the game-changing realization that you had that really helped you build high-performing teams?
1: Yeah, being here for 10 years and also being in HR for a total of 18 years now, obviously i've seen a lot of resumes i've seen a lot of people come into the organization i've seen a lot of people leave the organization I've seen successful people and i've seen a lot of people that were not successful in their roles and there's three things that that really stick out to me and three things that I like to focus on as is the first i want to make sure that people are in the right seat if you're not in the right seat i don't believe that you're gonna you're gonna thrive You might be okay, but you're not going to be happy. The second thing is that your strengths are magnified in the thing that you're doing on a daily basis. And the third thing is that you have the manager that's a leader to be able to lead you and the team in the right way to get a high-performing team. In order to have a high-performing team, actually, you have to be a great leader, a great manager or a manager that's a great leader. You have to be in the right seat. And I think if people are in the right seat and their strengths are being magnified...
0: so. You mentioned something that's interesting. You want to magnify your strengths. That's one of the responsibilities that a manager has is to magnify your strengths. How do you practically create a scenario where you are intentional about playing to the strengths of your team? How do you identify those strengths and how do you structure it in such a way where you're playing to
1: each team member's strengths? To answer the first part of the question, from a leadership standpoint, I think a lot of leaders, they want to be fulfilled themselves and they want their employees to fulfill them. I don't think that's real leadership. I think leadership is filling the cup of your employees and having their cup filled and their cup running over. It's the responsibility of my leader to, but me as a leader, I'm supposed to fill the cup of my employees. And so the way that we do this is we have regular one-on-ones. I always want to know, Hey, how are you doing? Let's have a real conversation. How are you doing? How are things going? And the way that we do this for a new hire is within the first 90 days, we have this 30-60 90, right? In the first 30 days, I would like you to meet with your managers and map out all of your goals, right? And obviously they can change as time goes on. In 60th day, I want you and your manager to, to meet up and make sure that, hey, based on the goals that we set, how am I doing? How are you doing? Let's have that real conversation. And in 90 days, I think if everything's going good, you'll really know, but you'll also really know in 90 days after you've had these this 30-day, and 60-day and regular check-ins, you'll really know how they're going to do in their position. And again, you, you, you never really know, but it will give you a really great snapshot as long as you as a leader are having regular one-on-ones, you set clear expectations. Obviously, when people come to me, about something, I get with the manager and I ask the manager, hey, did you set clear expectations or was this even an expectation? So if you're coming to me as a manager and you're telling me you're frustrated, one of the first things that I'm always gonna ask you and every manager at at, uh, the bank will tell you this. If you come into Kenny's office and you tell me there's a problem, one of the first question is probably gonna be, help me understand. But the second question is, did you set clear expectations based on what you're asking me about with the employee. Wow,
0: it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders, just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co. slash HR Impact. And now, back to the show. We're taking the HR Impact Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wind Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people, innovation, and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is going to be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300-plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. I, I like your point about setting clear expectations. When you hear the phrase, everybody's, oh yeah, that makes sense. So I want to dig a little bit deeper. That can mean any number of things to any number of people. And the, your typical manager might be sitting there thinking, yeah, I set clear ex- expectations. What was the process that you went through as an HR leader to make sure that everybody's on the same page as far as what clear expectations look looks like? so that you're practicing the same execution across your entire manager population.
1: When you're talking to people in general, when I'm in all my EQ classes or any of my training classes, I always tell people, if they're listening to me for the first time, I always tell everyone, tell me that you're uh, a lifelong learner and I'll look at you and I'll say, cool, that's nice. But if you tell me you're a lifelong relearner, you go to another level for me. And how does that uh, relate back to what we were talking about? When we talk about, Hey, how do you set that foundation is, Hey, are you, how's the training let's talk about the training Were they properly trained in what they were supposed to do. If they were, that's good. Now that you have some time with them after time has gone by now that you're looking at some of the things, are you fine tuning it? Are you letting it go? One of the things that we talked about, and and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, was being radically candid. So one of the biggest foundational pieces of our organization is being radically candid with each other. And again, through psychological safety, which all of our managers, they've all been taught how to do this. We've gone through a lot of training on this. If you have a psychologically safe environment, you have a safe environment for feedback. You have a safe environment for communication. I think a lot of communication breaks is because I don't trust you enough to tell you the truth, or I don't trust you enough to tell you really how I feel. But if you have this uh, environment of trust and you build that foundation, now, if something's wrong, I get to talk to you about it. You're not gonna get hurt. We always talk about, hey, if I give you feedback, walls come up, especially if it's bad feedback, walls come up. But if you really truly have a psychological safe environment and people trust each other in that environment, you really open the door for great communication, great feedback, and people take that feedback and become better if I fail forward and continue to have this gross mindset throughout the entire time. If you can build that from the very beginning, and obviously not everyone's going to really capture this, but those that really do capture this and say, hey, look, I want to, if I fail, I'm not going to make the same mistake over and over again. I have a growth mindset. Those people seem to thrive and those that really don't have that gross mindset or those that can't fail forward, you tend to see them make their own way out the door.
0: I really like a lot of what you said there and it's connecting with me with the exception of one little element. So everything that you're describing from a psychological safety perspective or radical candor perspective, all of that stuff makes sense. And I can see how that can be executed across an organization. And especially if you're talking about exempt employees, like those sort of conversations in the white collar professional space, Logically, that seems, yeah, you can have those conversations. How do you create the space to have that level of operational excellence when it comes to transparency, honesty, candor, clarity of communications amongst the hourly population that exists probably within that banking context? There's a different set of criteria that an hourly employee cares about. So how did you bake that into... That context, as well as your exempt employees.
1: I, I think it goes back are you bought into the mission, vision, and values of the bank or the organization? If you're bought into the mission, vision, and values, and obviously we talked about loyalty before. That's not necessarily something that is really huge anymore, but is that okay? But I see you have people that are bought into the mission, vision and values of the organization. These people want to work hard for you, but I see from the non-exempt population, you always have to answer the question, what are you going to do for me? And what have you done for me lately? And when we can answer, what have you done for me? And what have you done for me lately? A non-exempt employee is typically the employee that clocks in and clocks out. They're typically the employee that is some of them are the lowest paid employees in the organization. So as a leader, you have a responsibility to paint a really great picture for them. And this picture should show, hey, in this organization, I have the ability to grow by doing X, Y, or Z. And as they start to fulfill X, Y, and Z, they trust you enough to be a leader of your word or a manager of your words can actually grow them into their next position. I think some organizations, they can say, hey, look, you have to accomplish all this to get to this next step. And sometimes they get left in that next step, and they get left in that the step that they're in right now and never really move. And they're like, hey, look, you told me that if I did this and if I mastered this or if I became a subject matter expert in this, I would be able to grow but I'm still in the same position. I get it. The trust is gone for a non-exempt employee. But if you are an organization that says, Hey, look, we have, we have these, we have a mission, we have a vision and a value. And so as long as you're aligning with our mission, vision, and value, and in your position, you're doing everything you need to do. in maybe let's just say a one position, then we're going to grow you to a two. And if you do everything as a two, we're going to grow you to a three. Or if you're not in a position with ones, twos, and threes, maybe you're just an an analyst. But I've done everything that I've needed to do to accomplish, to be accomplished analyst. Now I want to be a senior analyst or specialist, whatever it is. Do I trust you you enough to say, hey, look, once I've mastered this and shown you that I can do this, will you grow me just like you said you would? And you have to be an organization of your word. I'm a man of my word. We have to be an organization of our word, but it's really big that the manager and the leader or the leader really paints that picture on what their expectation is in order for them to grow. And when they meet your expectation. You actually grow them. The big linkage that I take away from what you just
0: described is that if you want to build this type of organization where you're serving the entire employee population, not just your exempt population, you have to not only talk about what you're going to do, you have to actually do the thing that you're saying that you're going to do when it's there. So that's the critical thing when we look at where leaders and organizations fail, is that oftentimes a lot of these things become a talking exercise versus a doing exercise, and that's what gets people into trouble. I think there's a lot of meat in this conversation that we've we've talked through. Here's where it gets real. There's somebody that's listening to this conversation, and they want to get rolling on it and try to build this sort of culture. What are the things that they need to watch out for? How do they get started? Yeah,
1: I think uh, my biggest advice, because I, I went through it, is when you're talking about growth, growth of the organization, growth of people. Sometimes we want to go too fast and sometimes you just got to slow down and say, hey, look, did I set the right expectations? Do I have all the right, I'm sorry, do I have the right job description for the people? Do they have role clarity in in that job? And if they have role clarity in that job, do I have the ability to continue to grow them, right? And if I don't, got to figure out how you're going to roll with that. One of the, the big takeaways that, that I would like to tell everybody is that you can't everybody in a box. In my EQ training that, that I do, I tell this to leaders and I tell this to employees. Look, we all come from different backgrounds. We call, all come from different cultures, religious backgrounds, socio socioeconomic standards or living. Some people grew up in the ghetto. Some people grew up in the affluent area. And what every organization does is it takes all these people with different backgrounds, different cultures, and puts them all in an organization that says, hey, go towards that goal. And when we say that, we also need to understand that you can't put people in a box. There's going to be people that are going to be introverted, people that are going to be extroverted, people that are going to learn in different ways. And you have to be an organization and you have to be a leader that knows how to hey, this person learns this way, I'm okay with this. This person's a little bit introverted, I'm okay with this. This person's a little bit extroverted, I'm okay with this. But also, like I said, build that psychological psychologically safe environment for an employee. Build trust, build confidence, and have an organization or a department that continues to communicate in the way that is conducive to getting the best work out of people. And the reason why I say it like that is because communication is just not me and you talking, right? it's a, it's a dialogue, two people talking, at a month. And so communication is not just having this dialogue where we're just talking to, each, talking to each other with clarity and you understand what I'm saying. And if you don't understand, you have the psychologically safe environment and you trust me enough to tell me what's really on your mind or no, I really didn't get it.
0: If people want to continue this conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: I think the best way to get in touch with me is through LinkedIn. I you can find me just as my name is spelled, Kenny, K-E-N-Y, Blespin, V-A-L-E-S-T-I-N. And uh, if you want to have that conversation with me, I am absolutely open to having dialogue with you and getting to know anybody who would like to talk with me. Like I said, I'm a lifelong learner, but more than that, I'm a lifelong relearner. So I would love to learn from you, but I would also like to help you if I can in any way. Kenny,
0: really great conversation. I appreciate you hanging out with us and spending time with us. When I think about this conversation, there's a few things that really stand out. And one of the first things that you mentioned that struck a chord with me Is that people in your organization need to know their value. And the gap that exists is that oftentimes the individual that you're dealing with probably doesn't recognize their value in any true sense. So your responsibility as a leader is to give them a vision for themselves that they might not even recognize is there. And if you're looking at building a high performance organization, that's one of your key responsibilities as a leader is to connect that dot. Paint something bigger than what they might even realize is possible for them. And that's how you actually get them to the places that they need to go so that everybody is raising their games. The other thing that stood out to me is when you're looking at high performance organizations, you need to have leaders who are playing to the strengths of their people. And that requires you to spend the appropriate amount of time in understanding who they are at an individual level And you talked about don't look at people and put them into boxes. You need to connect with them at an individual level so you recognize what their strengths are and play to that versus constantly having to put people in a position where they're trying to shore up their weaknesses. Play to the things that give people energy versus take energy away from them. I thought that was really important. And the last thing that stands out about what we talked about is that organizations have a habit and leaders within those organizations have a habit about talking about all sorts of stuff. There's a time and place to paint the vision, but really when you're looking at maximizing the impact and building that high performance organization, you gotta show up and you gotta live and and demonstrate that you're actually not just talk, you're a lot of action. And that's really how you bridge the gap between your exempt and non-exempt employees is how you show up and make things happen. For those of you who have listened to the conversation, we appreciate you hanging out. Tune in next time where we'll have another great leader on the program t- talking to us about the game-changing realizations that help them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co/hrimpact.